Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. Proclamation. Webster defines it as, quote, something proclaimed specifically, an official, formal, public announcement, edict, or decree, unquote. And one Bible dictionary I consulted about this said the following, it is to declare publicly and typically insistently, proudly, or defiantly. In other words, friends, a proclamation is meant to make us stop and pay attention because something important is happening, or just about to happen, and we need to respond to it now. Well, once again, it's the season of Advent, our time as Christians of waiting, watching, and preparing for the coming of Christ. And as such, this is a season chock full of proclamations. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about in a new series of messages over the next several weeks. It's a sermon series that we're calling Proclamations, and it starts with one, actually two, proclamations from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is a message entitled, Let Us Go Up to the Mountain. It's hard to wait. Let's just say that up front. It's hard to wait especially when it is shaping up to be a very long wait, most especially when it's become clear that we are powerless to do anything about it. And you know what I'm talking about here, right? I have no doubt that each one of us has a tale to tell about, oh, say, being stuck in the middle of a traffic jam on I-93 or about time spent at a doctor's office for an appointment, sitting in the waiting room, or worse, for treatment at the emergency room, or fairly recently, having to deal with the interminable checkout line at Market Basket on the day before Thanksgiving. <laughs> I myself could relate to you the story of one memorable and particularly agonizing four-hour odyssey at the main department of motor vehicles back in 2005, but that is a story for another time. <laughs> the fact is, friends, we've all been there, right? Like I said before, it's hard. It's hard to wait. But would you not also agree that the degree to which we are bothered by all that waiting comes down to our own state of mind in that particular moment. Texas pastor and blogger, the Reverend Dr. Alan Bream, writes that for him, driving on the freeway serves as a pretty reliable benchmark for my psychological state. If I'm feeling lousy, Bream says, I can get angry at the tiniest perceived slight from another driver. At the same time, however, if I am in a peaceful frame of mind, the whole freeway can be dominated by the rudest and most dangerous drivers, and I can just keep my cool and just calmly get out of their way. It can go either way. But ultimately, Bream goes on to say, 
how he reacts is up to him. And the same can be said for you and me, can it not? I mean, we might call it being centered or staying mindful. We could think of it as a spiritual discipline or simply employing a modicum of patience. There is great wisdom and peace that comes in understanding that whatever the external circumstance happens to be, we can choose how we feel. We can choose what our attitude will be and what kind of state of mind we will take. And that will make all the difference. So here we are, once again, at the beginning of the Advent season, which by its very definition is a time of waiting. And, and not just in one sense, but actually several. We are, of course, waiting in a symbolic and spiritual sense for a wonderful gift that has already been given, that in the birth of the Christ child in the manger of Bethlehem. And so within that, of course, we're also waiting over these next four weeks for the coming of Christmas. But you know what? We're also waiting for a gift that is yet to come, for Christ's return in glory, that promised moment when God's amazing vision for the creation comes to full fruition. And within that, waiting for that moment when all that we have yearned for in faith and hope finally becomes a full reality in the world and, and in our lives. It is, in fact, a proclamation, a proclamation that you and I make together whenever we share communion in this place. It is about, you've heard me say this, the mystery and wonder of our Christian faith that is manifest in the sure and certain promise that Christ will come again. So in other words, it's coming. That's the very meaning of the word Advent. It's from the Latin Adventus, coming. It's all coming, but not yet. For now, we have to wait. And it's hard to wait. Oy vey, it's hard to wait. I mean, and the reason it's hard to wait is there's so much about this that repeats. Every Christmas season, we hear the same promises, don't we? Of, of peace on earth, of goodwill amongst all people, of lions and lambs laying down together, little children leading all. Or as we heard in this morning's text from Myron, a swords beaten into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks, of a time when nation shall not lift up sword against nation and neither shall they learn war anymore. It is all about the promise of God's kingdom coming in its fullness. But you see, it really doesn't require much speculation on our parts to realize that not only hasn't this happened yet, but also that the world in our lives seem to be evolving in many ways in quite the opposite direction. I mean, we talk all about hope as the Advent season begins. And, and we lit a candle this morning to help us stay hopeful 
for that time when the sure and certain promises will be fulfilled. But at the end of the day, as one season passes to another, as one year goes on to the next, as generation passes to generation, we as a people are still waiting for it to happen. We have to wait. So I guess the question becomes then, how will we wait? How will we choose to be? What's our attitude going to be? How are we going to respond and what are we going to do as we're waiting for this divine Adventist to come to pass? Well, it seems to me that we find some solid guidance as to how we might answer those questions in our text for this morning from the book of the prophet Isaiah. To begin with, it really should be noted here as we start that though we appropriately associate the book of Isaiah with the Advent and Christmas seasons, in truth, only a small percentage of its 66 chapters, divided roughly into three parts, are in truth dealing with God's promise of a Messiah. It's sort of the, the, the line that runs through all of Isaiah, but it's only directly related in about roughly 10% of its verses. The rest of Isaiah is pretty much an indictment of the ongoing idolatry and faithlessness of God's people, Israel. And, and why would it not? The world, you see, as Isaiah knew it, was, to quote the late Reverend Stephen Montgomery, a choppy, chaotic, unjust, warring world. Israel, he said, is a storm-crossed nation where events were spiraling out of control and fear and faithlessness were running rampant amongst the people. But, continued Montgomery, out of that turmoil, out of that storm-tossed world, there was one voice that stood out. A voice of God's voice. A vision of God's vision. And to a world that was warring and killing and groping and sinking, here was Isaiah. Isaiah rose up and he called out to the people, Look, look, focus your eyes on the mountain of the house of the Lord. Look at it and come. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. And it's from that proclamation that Isaiah lays out that wonderful promise of swords becoming plowshares and how, in the words of the song, people ain't going to study war no more. They ain't going to study war. And yes, admittedly, even as we heard those familiar words read today, the prophet's words do seem like a distant, unattainable ideal rather than a sure and certain promise for Israel's future. Seems out there somehow, except, and this is key, except what Isaiah was talking about had less to do with Israel's future than it did about Israel's present. And as it turns out, our present as well. 
Did you notice in our text today how the word from Isaiah's prophecy begins? First, four words of the prophecy are in days to come. And then it goes on to says, in days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Now, that seems straightforward enough. But here's the thing. This is the the glory of language, actually. If you look back at the original Hebrew, those first four words I shared with you are better translated in English as in the back of the days. Or, get this, in the midst of the present. So in other words, then, Isaiah's words and God's promise here is not meant to refer to some far-off time or an unattainable goal to hold on till someday. Sure, it's not coming to pass at this very moment. Yes, we will have to wait for all to be fulfilled, but you see what Isaiah is saying, and I'll quote Stephen Montgomery one more time here, is that the present moment is ripe, or to use a very appropriate Advent term, pregnant with God's presence. In other words, folks, the time to get ready, the time to claim God's vision, to move forward with that vision is now. Right in the midst of the present. Right here. Right now as we are together waiting for it all to unfold. Now is the time. This is the moment for you and I to live as though Christ has returned. And the kingdom has come. Now is the time when we should be living as true Advent people, which is living unto the reality of Emmanuel, God with us, in and through every part of our life's journey. Now is the opportunity. Now is our calling to prepare for God's coming by working for God's kingdom of justice and love and peace bringing joy into the midst of our own time and place until that kingdom finally comes in its fullness. So in the second proclamation of our text, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And let us do so now. Because make no mistake, the kingdom is coming. We know not when exactly, but we know it's coming, and it perhaps will be coming sooner than we ever thought. Many years ago now, when our children were still very young, one day around Christmas time, my wife Lisa was out on the road in the car, which was filled not only with our three children, but also a couple of children of some friends of ours. Now, we were reminiscing about this story, and we're not exactly sure why they were out there that day, but I'm guessing she was likely taking our friend's kids home because she was, out of necessity, approaching an intersection in Scarborough that was always traditionally busy. But an intersection that on this particular day was a whole lot busier than normal. It was the holidays. And and in fact, that intersection was pretty much at a place where traffic was at a standstill. And it didn't matter how many times the lights changed. It didn't matter how much time had gone by. You were lucky there for a while to go 
closer to the light by one car length in every cycle. Just suffice to say that all four roads at that intersection was jammed with cars, and quite literally the only thing one could do in that situation was wait. Which is fine, because after all, these things happen, especially during the holidays. But you see, behind our car was another car. And in that car was a driver who, shall we say, was none too pleased with the situation at hand. And he was laying on the horn like nobody's business to make sure everybody knew he was none too pleased with the situation at hand. Now, you should know I wasn't there. But I can tell you for sure that there was absolutely nothing Lisa could have done about this. There was this long line of cars ahead of her that weren't moving. There were I, I don't know if there's one or two lanes in both directions. It was all very filled up. And it didn't look like that was going to change anytime soon. Really, the only thing she could have done at that moment was just to continue waiting. But you see, that didn't stop the guy in the car behind from continually honking his horn. And not only that, as Lisa told me later, one look into the rearview mirror revealed that this man was waving his arms, angrily shouting in her direction what I can only imagine were colorful metaphors. <laughs> now it's at this point, from the back seat, one of our children, and I actually think it was Sarah, quietly asks, Mommy, why is that man mad at us? And Lisa, in a moment that I will tell you today was a, of sheer genius, says, I don't know, honey. Why don't all of you just turn around and give that man a wave and a big smile? It might make him feel better. <laughs> and that's just exactly what I think five of these kids in the back did. And I am pleased to report that the effect that it had <clears throat> on the man was immediate. Suddenly, and at last, the horn stopped honking. His arms stopped waving. And in a moment of exquisite grace, the man stopped whatever it was he was yelling. He shrugged. He shook his head and smiled. I believe they did it a second time, too. And that just solidified the deal. Now, as I think back on it now, that could have gone a whole different way. But thanks be to God, in that moment of waiting, love prevailed. Now, as we've been saying all morning, it is now the season of Advent. And if I may go back to quote Alan Bream once again, he says, Advent is looking forward to something better. But friends, you see, our looking forward to something better is never to be done in a static or empty way. Indeed, we are called to wait for the Lord's coming. But that doesn't mean we're just to wait around. Even now, as we start our yearly journey to the manger, we can choose to go up to the mountain and learn of God's ways so that we might walk in his ways, that we might walk in the light. 
as this holiday season unfolds with all that that entails, we can decide here and now to walk in the light so that we might cultivate a spirit of kindness and generosity and forgiveness and compassion and peace and care and love. We can dedicate ourselves to living our lives in hope. Because hope, the hope of God's sure and certain promises, the hope of a better world, a hope of a healed and healing heart, is not just a feeling or a desire. It's not just the stuff of holiday greetings. It is you and me together living unto everything that God has done and anticipating actively everything God is about to do, living unto that truth today and every day. And whether we're talking about Advent or Christmas, the new year are our very lives. This, you see, is what is going to make all the difference. Let us go up to the mountain. Let us walk in the light. And as we do, let our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Let Us Go Up to the Mountain. It's part of our Advent Christmas sermon series that we're calling Proclamations. It was recorded during our November the 28th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire. By the way, now that the holiday season is getting underway in earnest, we'd like to offer you an invitation to our live in-person services of worship, which happen every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church, which is located on 51 Mountain Road in Concord. Or else you can join us live online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. However it best happens for you, we would love it if you could share a part of this blessed season with us. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of Love to Tell the Story. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon.